The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. This is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. You're listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer, along with my lovely bride, Sherry. For the next 25 minutes, we're basically going to have a good time. We're going to talk about this parallel universe that we're unzipping and we're saying we're seeing in there and we think is there. It's a fundamental truth that's there whether you like it or not. And maybe there's a way to use these ideas to not only assist in the parenting process of life and bring families closer together, but is this a help to organizations? So in our last segment, Sherry, I need you to unzip something for me. You said you've always looked at this you know, as kind of like the CEO. Uh, that was my word. Uh, but you've looked at this as a business organization. Meaning you, our family. Yeah. But then you pulled back a little bit. Well, okay. So what I wanted to clarify was that um, it was probably about when Charles was 10 or 11 in the throes of having um, four kids by that time, four boys, four really busy boys. And how I used my time as a mother, um, because it was getting, you know, 100% absorbed by these entities that lived in our home. And, you know, just the demands of being a mom in a home. Right, right. Um, and, and really realizing that everything and my decisions that I make were a fundamental unit of business that is within the world. Um, you know, the shopping, the, the purchasing of a home, the, the heating of the home, um, keeping babies in diapers, like inventory, it, budgeting, you know, um, there's so much that this connects to the entire business world, but right. that within my home, not that I thought as my children as objects, but that it's that at times I needed to take the role of manager. I needed to look back at what was happening in my home um, and these semi-business decisions in what was I trying to accomplish. I was trying to have four at the time. We ended up having a fifth later, but four independent um, people be a result of our efforts, that they could grow to become independent from us eventually. And just keeping that big mission plan in my head as I was parenting. Um, and then let that guide some of my decisions. Um, at ballot that time is when we started the token economy, if you'll remember, in our home. And we found it super helpful with these, these boys that were in our home. And it did start to increase their awareness of their accountability um, 
but it also brought in great compassion and charity. So I, it wasn't about, you know, these little. And the token economy really is a business organization that yes. we implemented. It's an economic um, approach to raising children. But the surprises were. We never saw them coming. The emotional. Right intelligence gains that we, you came know, we'll from do doing a the, token. On the token economy. Yeah, we may All have right. to put that in the parking lot for now. But so it was that whole idea of what was my role as a mom in connection to the big world and what was the results um, of, you know, in terms of a goal of what was our purpose. You used two words, and I want to make sure these words are defined because I don't think they're accurately done or synonymous. They're, they're, they make them synonymous. You said, I had to understand that I'm not treating my children like objects, mm -hmm. um, but I had to be a manager. And then you use also the word, I had to be a leader. Yeah. Let's break out these words a little bit. And I'd like to just throw in the research I did in my dissertation um, and that we're doing, that I'm doing right now with law enforcement. A manager manages things. Right. And as a mom, and you've got four kids, you have to become more efficient at doing things. You have to be more efficient of cooking, cleaning, diapering, you know, whatever it is, you're going to make life better for you and your children and your husband um, and, and the whole household, defining how the whole household will run more efficiently. So that's management, right? And notice that the children weren't involved in that. You're managing budgets. You are man you're prioritizing time. And we actually came up with a time system as well. So we, well, we could do I, that one. I would some argue that there. some of that management was where it was involved with the children because making it more efficient and making it more child friendly brought them into being able to have but more. You weren't great managing the children. Right. You were managing the things, things around, around the children. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. Yeah. Now I'm gonna transition over to the corporate world for just a second. Managers manage things, projects, budgets, yeah. machinery, inventory. They manage all of those things, but leaders lead people. And and this is where we brought in the token economy, where we brought in accountability to our children in a way that they would become financially responsible and more aware of their actions. Um, and we had a maid service fee that applied for things that behaviors that happened around the house. There are natural consequences it, built into it. It was basically superimposed consequences that could be pretty immediate and that were meant something to our children because they became responsible for their own clothing by age seven, like right. the purchasing their own clothing and School so supplies. Yeah. So we, we ramped up accountability for those boys and we ramped up opportunity for them to be able to satisfy those responsibilities. And it worked in that emotional intelligence realm for them. But inside the token economy, they had all three A's. They had autonomy, they had authority, and they had accountability, yes. but they had an equal amount. They just weren't accountable. So, so often right. when I see parents giving their kids chores, you know, they don't have any authority or autonomy. They can't even say no. But in the token economy, our kids, if they didn't want to set the table, they could say no. They, they could say no. And they did. And there might be a consequence, but it was worth it to them. Exactly. They could exchange. That's why it was a token economy. They could exchange um, the opportunity to say no to doing something a responsibility that they held for something else, for taking on a consequence. And see, the big deal there is, and this is where bringing it back to the corporate world, so often we treat our employees as our greatest asset. Well, now look at the words. If it's an asset, 
It's that's an object. A thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not arguing the, the theory behind it or the sentiment behind it, but the reality is they're still humans. You know, if you, if you think you're a, a leader, but nobody wants to follow you, you're, you're just taking a walk. No one's there because too often people want to become the manager so they can put it on their card or on their lapel. And so they identify themselves as the manager. That was a big deal. Um, stereotypically, lawyers identify themselves as lawyers. That's a big deal. I'm a lawyer, or and I see this in engineers. I even see this in the, the comments. Underneath, I'll read you know the comments. It's always interesting to read maladaptive behavior in comments. People, like online the comments worst of or people come you're out about in, blogs. Yeah, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember one guy, it was, a, it was actually a golf video on explaining how to hit a, a, a draw. And the engineer, he writes in there and says, hey, I'm an engineer, and then criticizes the guy um, for his explanation, which was one of the best explanations I had ever seen or ever heard. And then I, I shared this with you. I, know, I don't really know if you remember what you said, but it was pretty insightful. He was identifying himself as an engineer and then illustrating that his mind is closed. What's the role of an engineer? Well, to rethink ideas, how can you make something more improved? That's what engineering is. And so that has to be an open mind. Right. Because you have to think there's always a better way of doing something. That's a leader. You've yes, got to be able absolutely. to allow people that flexibility to be themselves, to be creative, to be innovative. Mm -hmm. What do we do as parents when we helicopter our children? Right. We tell them that they're not capable and they're... Yeah, that there's no other way to do it than the, than your way. We're so afraid that they might have a consequence that we cover them, we we smother them in, a, in an effort because we're afraid, not because they're afraid. Those kids have no problem getting out and getting dirty. It's the parents that don't let them get out and get dirty and experience life that will complicate them and they'll compromise. So again, that manager versus leader is now directly applicable back into the home and as, as well as it is in the corporate world, yes. understanding the difference. Just because you have a title doesn't mean you're a leader. It just means you have a title. And we've also realized that 75% of all managers, this was research done when I was doing my research dissertation, are not qualified for their position. We're promoting people based upon their productivity, like as an engineer, but they're not qualified to be a leader of people. The best salesperson is rarely the best person to put in a sales manager because they couldn't even tell you what they were doing. They can't replicate that by, by sharing it with others. Okay, so back to the, the seven principles. So bringing it back. We have seven things we want to talk about. In a nutshell, they are use connection. So connect and redirect. Work the relationship, not the incident or the results. Teach versus tell. Discern intent versus impulse. Pre-planned desired behavior, in other words, deliver practice. Learn to change experiences. If you want to change behavior, you have to change experiences. You can't change behavior by telling them what to do, restricting them, or increasing taxes. That's just, there is no support for that. And then the last one is to focus on what instead of on who. So we're going to go down that road. So starting with Use Connect. So often, and we'll, let's just bounce back and forth between the parenting in the corporate world. And mm -hmm. I hope what, what the listeners pick up is you really can't tell the difference. They are so similar between each other. I lost well, my glasses. Oh, there they are. And the power of using these principles universally is really the big idea I think we want to bring up today. So we're going to call, first 
principle today is going to be use connection, not separation when growing employees to develop your team, to create a culture or to build consensus. Now, how does that same wording apply in the family? So grow employees, develop the team, create a culture and build consensus. Sometimes you have to have consensus when you're on a road trip, right? Where are you going to stop to eat? (laughs) I wouldn't know what that looks like, right? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, yeah, those are challenges that uh, we reach in both places. So So when we grow employees is when we grow our children. Developing our team is the continuity within the family structure. Creating a culture, every family has a culture. Mm -hmm. So side note real quick. I remember visiting your family. We were living out of state at the time. Um, and we are coming up here for Christmas Mm -hmm. and they had their way of doing Christmas. And I was really focused on creating my own because I didn't have a family of traditions. My family, it was chaos and random. That was our tradition is Mm -hmm. random and chaos. And I really wanted stability and I wanted my children to feel that stability. So we were in the, the beginnings, the infant stages of creating our family traditions and I was really focused on that. And it created some contention within the family, your family, when I didn't want to do Christmas randomly again. Because all of a sudden, remember, your brother wanted to do it in the evening and not in the morning. Not and, what the tradition yeah. had been. So there was, yeah, it was yeah. like. And it worked out okay. There was no real hard feelings. <clears throat> but I remember wanting to hold my own, mm-hmm. saying, no, I want family traditions now. And we were, we got pretty good at creating the own Himmer family traditions. Christmas, Adam, things of that nature, became the family traditions. So we want to talk about the importance. Okay, hand me. Of connect and redirect by following, first of all, rules of engagement. So the first thing that we do um, that is important, and I'm going to talk leadership for a second, is do you have rules of engagement for your culture? Or is it random? So we learned, uh, I learned in the, the bullying research that there's a continuum. It starts with incivility. So first of all, people are kind of rude and then they're, it keeps moving and sarcastic, sarcastic criticism. Um, and it even talked about things like um, when you finish the coffee pot at work and there's just like a couple drops left and you're the last one. You leave just a couple of drops so you can say, well, it wasn't really empty. And then you go back to work. And don't clean it out. And don't clean it out and fill it up again. Common (laughs) courtesy is to clean it up again. It starts with that. Does the culture accept it or does the culture promote it? So go back to the way, you know, we did things in our home. Clearing the table. How many times did a parent tell you, it was so nice to have your son over. He cleared the table and put it in the dishwasher. And, And to us, it's like, okay. That wasn't a big deal. Awareness of what civility means within your culture and defining that. So that's where the rules of engagement comes in. What is that going to look like for your family or for your work culture? And is if there isn't rules of engagement for your work culture, that means it's going to go to the lowest common denominator. It's going to go to random and chaos. That's the path of least resistance, and you'll have tons of it. You know, incivility now, and if you think about the world around you, how much swearing and how swearing has kind of infiltrated. We're dropping F-bombs everywhere we go. The, the, the com- complete eradication of the English language um, is very interesting to watch. I just have to add this. There's like this clash of that culture um, aspect happening with swearing because it's like on one side, you have to, you know, it's out there that people have to do it all the time in order to, 
I don't know, be intense in their emotions or to put emphasis, it's become so overused that there's no sense of emphasis now to the point that there's still this awareness of, well, it's really not appropriate. So instead of just saying it, I'll mouth it. Mm, interesting. And I've noticed that within realms of work where definitely swearing would not be appropriate because it involves children. But instead, the adults will mouth the word because otherwise they're not the like it's, isn't there. The, it's not valid. I'm like, this makes no sense to me. Back in. Use the English language as way it's designed to be. Uh, not having to go to swear. Do you remember that the fad denominator? when they were all using the word like? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like when they went and like did that and it, like they did oh, that. The Valley Girl talk. The, yeah. What's the difference between that and the F-bombs that we're hearing all over today? You know, what we're ha what's happening now is that we're allowing our culture, again, our society to move to the lowest common denominator. We're not uplifting. We have no rules of engagement. And I'd argue... Um, and I might be stretching it a bit, but I'd argue leadership in the country and Hollywood are huge influencers on our behavior. There's the person in the Oval Office. What kind of um, leadership roles are they displaying? Do they have civility? Are they well-spoken? Are their behaviors above reproach? Are they moral or immoral or amoral? So it has a huge influence on society as a whole. And now we've got teachers who are, are saying, okay, to mouth it, what's next? How quickly will that be in, influenced inside of the classroom? And what's going on in the, you know, it's like a badge of honor in the C-suite to go ahead and get mad at your employees and cuss them out and, and F-bomb all over the place. So I'm just questioning, is that really appropriate? So we're gonna, we're gonna go over the rules of engagement. We're gonna use the four S's, I'm gonna expand it. And in, in this realm of what we were just talking about with language, would apply. Yeah. So the first, there's four S's inside of rules of engagement, actually three and one, at least to the fourth, is first to, to have safe space. Well, what does safe space look like? <clears throat> in safe space, you have to be free from something so you are free to something else. So we have 10 that I've just observed over the years. I have 10 things that it's important to be mindful of, to be free from, to be free from criticism, to be free from sarcasm and judging and relating, persuasion, manipulation, condescension, shooting, that's S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G, controlling and intimidation. Now, just for a second, those of you listening, just imagine in your next conversation with your supervisor, uh, your spouse, your best friend, or whoever it is with whom you have a lot of disagreements with, that you are free from criticism, sarcasm, judging, relating, persuasion, manipulation, condescending, shooting, controlling, and intimidating. Just imagine a full conversation. Imagine the boardroom. Imagine working some details out that you have two sides on. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. What would it be like? I would argue that you would then be free to be authentic and or to be right. You would be free to be wrong. You'd be free to make a mistake without fear of retribution, which then would allow you a retake. That's safe space. In the business world, safe space means you can be authentic, innovative, creative. 
you could brainstorm and have a silly idea come out and be okay with that silly idea coming out and not have someone jump down your throat and tell you that you're an idiot. That's not safe space. So number one, safe space. Number two, feel felt. What does it mean to feel felt? What would that look like to you if I was having a conversation? Let's start at the corporate world. I'm your supervisor. That means that you would be attentive and present um, with whatever I'm having to connect with that person about, whether it's uh, or, you know going over a plan or they're not multitasking, they're not on their phone, they're not looking at their computer, they're not taking phone calls. It's full on. Okay, now let's, let's change that. Let's go home. So I have a story on that one that's it stayed with me for a long time. It's very challenging as a parent recognizing that to be fully attentive for your children. Um, you know, last night I had a ton of stuff I'm trying to do, and Sam kept asking, coming in, interrupting. Finally, I said, I'm going to give you the attention. I'm going to go out on the street with you and blow them up. But you've got to give me 30 minutes of time to get ready to do that. Right. Thank That's goodness. Fair. Sam, he did that. He was fine. Then we went out and we had a good time. Um, <clears throat> but I remember as a young boy, um, again, having lost my father in the war, didn't have a father, mom trying to earn the income. I remember walking in once and she's on her IBM Selectric. And I said, hey, mom. And I started talking to her. But I needed her attention. At least I perceived I needed it. And uh, she said, well, go ahead. And she kept typing while she's looking at what she was typing. Uh, and I remember saying, Mom, I, I just need you to listen. She goes, I am. Go ahead, dear. And so she just kept typing. But she was never really present for me. Yeah, and that's that's the tough world of parenting is because there's all these demands on you as a parent all the time. And yet there are moments when your children want you. You may not be able to give it like you couldn't give it to Sam last night. Right. But acknowledging I can't give you the attention I need right now, I can give it then. And that's just being transparent with what you can and cannot do as a parent, because you cannot do it all. And so, yeah, but no, first of all, recognizing that children do need full on present attention. Yeah. And what, what I believe, and this is what I sense when I told them that I can't give it to you now, but I will be able to give it to you. It's nice that you say it, they're going to feel a sense of, okay, I'm going to have my day mm -hmm. in court. But they it's worthless delay if you don't their do gratification. It. Right. And Only if, you don't come if through. you've got an experience. Right. So if if I say, no, I can give it to you in 15 minutes, but 15 minutes never happens. Right. Then that becomes redundant or superfluous and right. they won't believe you. So he, I hope that he and evidence shows that he does believe me right. when I said it, because I did stop in 30 minutes and we went out and played. When you're having to delay your child's attention for a few moments, and you're actually telling them that being full on for them, letting them be seen is important to you. If you follow up. Yeah. But if it's done half-heartedly by just throwing your hand down and say, hey, leave me alone. I'm, mommy's on the phone right now, dear. But if mommy's on the phone and venting to a friend and that venting has been repeated, that little child's going to learn that it's okay for, for her when she's older to vent to friends. Because she won't know exactly what you're saying, but she'll sense that it's a vent. The yeah. emotions are much stronger. Yeah, I have to say that it's really evident to see a kid, what the behavior of kids when they know that they're never seen. Right. Um, you they see you see it in the classroom and it, it exhibits itself in a way. But student, students who know that they can get 
full-on adult attention when they absolutely need it. Right. Um, not just at their whim and not at their demand, but know how to delay for it and that they get it in the doses and the intervals that they need. They Their behaviors are totally different. It's interesting because they'll escalate, um, my experience, and this happens um, at the corporate level, whereas a child in a classroom might escalate at the corporate level, sometimes they'll disappear and they'll end up spending yeah. all of their time and it's not as much as an intentional, even though sometimes it might be, but they're going to subconsciously disconnect. And the cost, the measured cost um, to production at the corporate level, especially as you start magnifying this to the thousands, um, is tremendous. Yet corporate will never see it. So quick, we're, we're going to do this later. We're, we're almost out of time. So we're going to pick this up on the next segment. And then we want to be able to get into those questions, you know, the, how you feel when certain things happen. So let's do a summary of what we, we talked about today. And remember, I'm going to take a note here to get into what happens so when you do that. Today, we started to build on the first of the seven principles of using connection, not separation, when you're connecting to your children or, you know, trying to grow closer to employees in a productive way. And we really talked about what rules of engagement need to happen in a culture, family and work-wise, and being safe, what safety means in in terms of the space and being seen. And right. I just have to say that is our challenge of, of the modern age, is that being seen, that connection is so important because we're digitally distracted. Yeah, we're so hardwired to connect. It's and so it's, important. And it's a problem in the corporate world. But not just the corporate world, but as a parent. It's no longer the kids doing it. You know, it's funny to listen to um, speakers kind of tear apart the, the teenagers of today, and they're just as guilty. You know, I, we go in restaurants, and I'm watching parents yeah. just as disconnected. They're not talking to their children. What an opportunity. To, to be able to engage with your child and you both are on your phone. So we're going to build on that next on, right. on the being seen and where we're going to go with soothing and feeling secure. So thank you again so much for listening. Um, we look forward to hearing from you. If you have any questions or thoughts, please contact us at drh at himmercenter.com or check out the website at himmercenter.com. Remember all resources are within you. Challenges that come your way are perfect. And perfect is a mistake that gets a retake. It's exactly what you need at that time. These challenges that you face, we're simply trying to insert hope into the story. There are ways around it, through it, out of it, so you can become the happy person that you believe you can be. So we look forward to talking to you again. Bye now. Out is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured every day. These never-ending worries falling on my sleeve. So many times now I was The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, -face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. 
Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.